five, scores! Rick Five. We've decided to get ourselves back in the game again with our podcast. Rick Five. Probably the craziest story that you're ever going to hear about hockey. We're going to be coming back to you on a regular basis. You are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. Hello, Canada and hockey fans of the United States and Newfoundland. And an extra big hello to Canadian servicemen overseas. Welcome, everyone, to the Squid and Ultimate Leafs fan show. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Leafs fan. Joining me as always, my winger, Ricky Squid Vibe. The Leafs made a few changes, Squid, but did they do enough the last week? Well, I guess, you know what, Mike? The only way we're going to find out is what happens from here until the end of the season and then the playoffs, obviously. You know, we're not, you know, we don't have a crystal ball or anything. I personally would say that I think they could have done a little bit more, personally. I mean, you know, you look at the teams in their division, even Boston, who are right behind them, they got some pretty good players at the deadline, and Florida and Tampa went all in. So, I mean, I think you got to have that mentality that we're all in. We want to win this thing. And, and that sends a message to your players, too. Yeah, it does. And, I mean, unfortunately, the asking price for Mark Andrew Fleury and Brandon Hagel, as everybody's aware, was pretty steep with the top prospect, Matthew Knees, and a couple of firsts. The reasoning given was – they don't want to give away the future. But as you know very well, living it yourself, the cruelty of sports suggests this move may cause Dubas his future with the Maple Leafs, never mind the Leafs themselves, if this thing goes yeah. southbound. And this thing, listen, this has a real good chance of going the wrong way with the division they're in. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I mean, the thing is, if you don't do it now, you might not get a chance to do it later, or you might not be involved in those prospects later. So, you know, why not go out on the limb and go all in and, and see what happens? But, again, you know what? The one thing on that, on the division, I would like to see them go back to uh, 1-8 kind of format uh, in, in the conferences. Yeah. You know, because, you know, like, it, like you look at that division. I mean, like you got four of the best teams in the league every year, and, and all of a sudden – after two rounds, three of them are out. Well, I was going to say to you, I mean, maybe the sporting gods have it out for Toronto teams because look at the Blue Jays, the division they're in. They're in the best yeah. team in baseball, never have a chance. <laughs> you know, you're starting behind the eight ball against the three teams in front of you every year. And now the Leafs, they're picking on it. Like, what did we ever do to those guys? Like, Toronto, we th- please forgive us, whoever it is up there doing this to us. Well, I think one of the things that would relieve that would be the 1-8 scenario. Yeah, or, or, right. or even if you took the, the first place team in each division, get the one, two seeds, and then it goes from there, the, the next six, six best teams, and one plays eight, two plays. Yeah. I think that would help. Uh, and you know what? I know they want the rivalries within the division and everything, but the bottom line is you want the best teams to move on and get to the semifinals and finals. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you want to distribute the level of play throughout the league and throughout the playoff, and that that is probably a good way to do it. So let me ask you this, coming back to that. I mean, I can tell by the way you're responding. Would you have pulled the trigger on that trade for Fleury? That have been you? Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, I don't know all the ins and outs of what was going on behind the scenes or anything, but, I mean, if you could have got Hagel and Fleury and then you could have pulled off that Giordano trade as well, 
I might have been willing to give up a little bit of the future for right now. But then again, there's no guarantee that even doing that, that right now is going to work. <laughs> so, well, you know, I mean, it, the way sports is today, it's a win now league everywhere, no matter what. Oh, yeah. Is. Yeah. So in a couple of years, if you wait, I mean, I know you're giving up two seconds already back to back for the Giordano trade with and, and Blackwell mm -hmm. and two first were the required give to get back Flurry and Hagel. But the fact remains, in a couple of years, chances are your two best assets, and Matthews and Martin, may not even be playing here anymore, never mind leaving the cupboard bare. And the second thing is you got to make that decision to roll the dice and win now because you got to take the view of those two prospects or those two picks in that prospect. They're just that. Mm -hmm. Those picks could be 20 or higher, and they should be that. So – you're really rolling the dice with them if you think in your bank and your future net. So, I mean, I don't know what the holdup or back because we don't have all what went on behind the scenes. Right. But I was a little surprised that that trade, which was leaked and put out there, that they didn't move on that, especially with Giordano and Blackhawk coming along with it. Yeah. I mean, if you got those four guys, if you got Flurry, Hagel, uh, Giordano and Blackwell, then all of a sudden you've just made your team that much better. But again, you know, the bottom line is they got to change the playoff format. I mean, I can't emphasize that enough because there's too many years where one, two, three of the best teams in the conference are out in the first, second round. Mm -hmm. and, and that's not fair. Like the Maple Leafs should not have to play Tampa or Florida or Boston, for instance, in the first round, you know, so if they did the one eight scenario, they might be playing, uh, well, they still be playing a good team, but it's not the best teams. Well, it's still, you know, what happens in those days, what they want to get away from is number eight being out number one, which used to happen quite frequently. And so I mean, there's never really any perfect solution, but I hear what you're saying. And, and in this case here, much so it's, a better, it's a better solution than what they have uh, now. It is right now the way things sit. I mean, just all the balance of power has gone to this division, unfortunately, and that's good for us watching it all year, but it's bad for us come playoff time. Yeah. <laughs> that's the way it is. But unfortunately, listen, the Blue Jays were faced with the same thing in 2015 with David Price, and they knew what the price of poker was used upon for him there. Going into the next year is $210 million, and – Listen, the, the, the fact remained was, uh, as I was told, Beeston basically just said to Alex Anthopoulos, look, you don't make the playoffs, they're going to gash you anyway. So, you know what? Go with it. And, you know, if you had that problem at the end, let them deal with it. And he did. Yeah. And the only monkey wrench in that was they got stuck with that stiff Tulowitzki. But besides that, they made the move. And <laughs> Messiah Jury got made the move with Kawhi Leonard. I mean, that's another move. Those are moves that can cost you your job. So yeah, I, they can cost you a job if they don't work out. But if they do work out, then, like I said, there's a five- or six-year extension <laughs> and more money. And exactly what a jury has. And Alex Anthopoulos has won a World Series, won a couple World Series since then with two different teams. Yes, so it exactly. Has to work out your face. So I, I, we don't have all the data went, and everything that went on behind the scenes. So no, I'm, just, I'm no. a little bit puzzled as to why that wasn't done. But regardless – We've got to move forward. What you got? We can talk about these guys. Listen, we can talk about them bringing in Sidney Crosby, bringing Wayne Gretzky back, bringing back. But guess what? That ain't happening. So we got to deal with what we got. So the six. Well, 
you know what? They still have a hell of a hockey team, Mike. No I mean, question. My only concern is that they're playing against teams in the first round of the playoffs that are exceptional hockey teams as well. So, and they've loaded up. Well, the good news for our listeners out there is this, and not, not because I did this, but I went to the game last Thursday with Ryan, and we sat seven rows from the ice. And I've been down there for a long time, sitting at that level. And let me tell you, the level of speed playing against Carolina was breathtaking. And the Maple Leafs, that night, they proved to me once and for all, at that level, they can play with anybody. There was zero to little no room. Carolina, who vends against the rush better than anybody in the league, who shuts things down better than anybody in the league. The Leafs kept their feet moving, mm-hmm. except number 88. They were finishing their checks. They played hard on the puck. They moved the puck efficiently, and they protected it when they had it. They did all the things that made them excel in that game, and they were nose for nose with Carolina from start to finish. They got decent goaltending. Yeah. And I'll tell you what. So the good news for us fans is that it's there. If they can bring it out like that. And what I love most about that game, Mike, as you were saying, is they did that in their own zone. All those things you talked about, 100%. they did it in their own zone. They were back deep. They were helping the D out, the forwards, I, I mean, and they were doing a real good job of that in their own zone. And, you know what, I think if they do that on a regular basis, they're going to be a lot more successful. A hundred percent. I couldn't agree with you more on that. And I, I think that, the next thing we have to come to is while we're talking about that is the $64,000 question is to keep running with Chagrin or until Campbell gets back or is Mrazek another shot? Mm. Let me put my coach's hat on for a sec. <laughs> uh, I'd probably go with a kid. Yeah. You know, especially tonight you're playing New Jersey who are not a great team. They're okay. But, I mean, they can beat you on any given night. Any team in the NHL can as we've seen recently with the, with the Maple Leafs, um, you know, but I mean, you're going up against a team that's not as good as you are. There's going to be a lot of buzz in the building with Giordano and Blackwell coming into the lineup. I say you start the kid. Uh, he's played three great games and one kind of not so good. So I, I that's, that would be my personal opinion if I was a coach. What I don't like the fact is Campbell's not back on the ice. It's over two weeks now, and he was supposed to be two weeks out, and he's still not back. So, I thought I, I saw. I thought someone. Oh no, it was Muzzin that was back on the Muzzin ice. Muzzin is back wearing the red jersey, though. No contact, but uh, yeah. no Campbell yet. So no sight of him. That's still another week, or at least away. So maybe they're just going to ride this out and hopefully get to the end, and then come back with him in the last few games let him play. But well, they, they had a gold medal winning goaltender from Finland until Arizona decided to pick him up on waivers, those idiots. And then probably held him for ransom on uh, <laughs> trade day on him, the bastard. Uh, 100% they probably called the Maple Leafs and said, oh, you really want this guy? Well, here's what we want. First-round pick and a prospect. Well, that ain't going to happen, so – you know, shove that guy, you know where, Arizona. <laughs> well, now, here's the question for you. Uh, there's a guy on that team that we've picked on all year, and I'm telling you, it's getting to the point now where the games get a little more physical. He's disappearing less, and we're referring to number 88. they got to play him. He's got to be here for the end of the year. What would you, as a teammate, what would you do with him? I mean, he's getting worse standing around every game now, and it's becoming more noticeable. Well, <laughs> 
You know, the amazing thing is, is I'm surprised watching so much tape that these coaches, assistant coaches, and, and video guys watch, that they don't see that. I mean, I would be calling them in as a head coach and just sitting them down and, and showing them these shifts where he's just standing around or stopping and letting the puck go or whatever and just say, listen, you, you know, in order for us to win, we need you to get into this a little bit more. You know, we need you to use your body uh, and not be afraid to get hurt or anything and, and get involved physically and move your legs. Like against Nashville the other night, there was a play in the leaf end, and he's playing the high slot, standing in the middle of the red circle, at the top of the circle. The natural the predator, the predator defenseman went behind him mm -hmm. in the circle, took the shot, got the rebound, and scored. And he didn't even make a – like he wasn't even aware he was behind him or he was going, and that's his responsibility. Yeah, probably he's not paying attention. He's not uh, thinking about defense. He's not looking around to see where the defenseman is that is his man, as you said, and he just flies by him. And if so, sixty-five-year-old beer leaguers, if you if you go to go around, I get you're going to get chopped across the hands. Okay, but or your stick broken again. How does that go unnoticed by the coaching staff? I have no idea. I the video guys. And then you I mean, and then I it's squid. And the other one is this, Micaiah. Uh, here's your question for you. We'll leave this one before we go a bit further. We'll take it one step further. Micaiah's an unrestricted free agent this year. Now, the way he drives in, the way he played against Carolina, he's he, they got to move him a little bit up in the lineup. Get him with Johnny Tavares, number one. Number two, he's an unrestricted free agent this year. Somebody has to be sacrificed to keep him. And if it's 88, do you move 88 and keep uh, Micaiah? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I would, I would, I would definitely look at that. I mean, I would put his name out there and see what, see what you know would come back to us. They're going to be uh, knocking on the door for Mikhaev. I can tell you the way he's playing. No, I'm talking about eighty-eight. No, I know, but the, but the price of poker is going to go up to keep him. No, so I mean he, he he's going to want four, four and a half million. I think so. uh, probably a five-year deal. Yep. Uh, I'm not sure they're in position to do that. So something will have to give. They'll either, you know, they either lose them or they'll have to move someone else out. Yeah. And the only guy comparable to that close is Kerfoot who makes three and a half. But mm, yeah. Anyways, but, I mean, I, is that a guy you want to move? I mean, I I think he's a, a pretty good player for them. I'll tell you the way he, I, and I, again, I, it's this, I, I don't know. It's another thing you and I talked about off the air is how he gets moved all around the lineup and his eyes gets cut and he's out there working his tail off all over the ice, moving the puck around, killing penalties. Uh, I don't know. He's, he doesn't get, seem to get rewarded as much as he should. I think. No, I agree. I agree a hundred percent. I don't know what that's all about, but regardless, anyway, that may be as it is, but it's great. Your favorite part of the show, and no, uh, yeah. hey, no smart ass is sending any notes saying that it's because it's at the end. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the quote of the week this week is going out to everybody in Maple Leaf land. Everybody here, but mostly the players and even old Kyle there. This one's for you too. You ready? I'm ready. Life's not about how hard of a hit you can give. It's how many you can take and still keep moving forward. Yeah, I like that. 20 games left. 
Can yep. we back? No, we got to look forward. You got to, you're right. I mean, yeah. And, and again, that goes uh, how you play the game too, in order to, you know, move up in the standings or win a playoff round. How many times you can get hit and keep going. Exactly. Well, guys, there you have it. We've got lots in front for you. A couple games. The game coming up tonight. Hopefully, we're not going to make any predictions Saturday night. We'll worry about that when Saturday comes, as same with next week. So, in the meantime, that's all we have for you today. Don't forget to tune in our weekly podcast, Squid and the Ultimate Leaf Fan, drops Fridays at 6 p.m. This week is part two of our chat with Dale Talon. Great insights from his career nice in the broadcast booth and his management, building the Stanley Cup winner in Chicago. And probably the foundation of this team we see in Florida right now that it mm-hmm. is one of the favorites to win the Stanley Cup this year. And he may not be done just quite yet. So he's quite the guy. Great interview. Good buddy, yours, Squid. So yeah. great to listen in, everyone. And listen, we'll talk to you guys all next week. Now, Pittsburgh, five years. You're settling in. But all of a sudden, you moved to Pittsburgh. How'd that all come about? Well, uh, you know, I was playing D in Vancouver, in Chicago, uh, and uh, Pulley came on board, and then, um, you know, uh, he wanted me to play a certain way as a defensive defenseman, and uh, I was having a hard time with it. Not that I didn't want to. I just didn't know how to. I liked, I liked rushing. I liked carrying the puck. I was an offensive defenseman, and uh, uh, you know, he, he just didn't like the way I played, and I, you know, I'd known Pulley since I was 17 years old and, and played against him in the Lantham Invitational. And, you know, we're, we're really good friends still. But, you know, he, he traded me to Pittsburgh. Uh, and uh, he was felt bad about it, but he, you know, he, he uh, apologized to me later. But I went to Pittsburgh and I had a really bad hand. My wrist was really bad and I couldn't really do much with my left hand. And um, but anyway, I enjoyed Pittsburgh. We had a good group there, you know. You see Nick Libet, and uh, um, that's the first time I think I wore a helmet there. But uh, <laughs> anyway, I got hurt, I broke my leg really badly in Pittsburgh. I liked it there. We had a good team, we had a good group. And uh, in Vancouver, right here, I had a compound fracture in my tibia. And you could see my right leg, uh, yeah. was laying flat over there while I was on my back. It snapped just below the knee off the goalpost, and um, uh, that was I, that was the end of it. They they didn't set it properly, and I ended up not being able to play after that. So it was pretty sad. But um, I got three standing ovations in Vancouver, Mike. I got carried <laughs> off in a stretcher three times. Three times. Oh <laughs> <laughs> my knee, blew my knee out, dislocated my hip, and compound fracture my tibia. Those I got three standing ovations. <laughs> hey, Squid, can you top that? Pardon? Uh, no, I can't. No, I can't. <laughs> yeah. but, oh, wow. I, I didn't even realize that you had. I'll tell you a funny story. I was going to go broadcast. I was broadcasting for the Leaf games. Yeah. And the radio side in Vancouver, you had to walk in the Pacific Coliseum, you had to walk across the middle of the up top over in the rafters over the middle of the ice. And I said, no way, I'm not, I, my luck at this building, I'm going to fall through here and be flat in the middle of the ice and die here. I said, I'm not going, I'm not going to do the game, the hell with it. And uh, they found another way for me to get there, but no way. <laughs> <laughs> well, funny things. Well, I was going to ask you uh, to move into broadcasting. Was that something you always wanted to pursue or how did the opportunity arise? 
You know, uh, I was on my way to play golf. I was going to the Far East to play golf and on the Asian tour. I wanted to give it a shot for four or five years, and I was going to meet Sandy Harper and uh, Jim Rutledge, two of my good friends that played on the tour and played in Asia. And uh, I got stuck in Chicago. I was leaving Toronto, going to Chicago, Chicago, Hawaii, and Hawaii. I was hooking up with uh, Sandy and Jimmy to go on the tour. And uh, I missed my flight and uh, never left Chicago. I ended up broadcasting a game uh, with, uh, it wasn't with Pat Foley at the time, it was with a guy named Ken Wilson. And uh, I did the game and, uh, and they gave me the job. And then, um, then I got to play, work with Pat for 16 years and that was a blast. He's one of my dearest friends. And actually gonna do a game with him April 10th uh, in one of his last games in Chicago. So that'll be fun. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Wow. That, that's awesome because uh, I love Pat too. I think he's probably one of the best broadcasters yeah. that I've ever had on on a team that I was on. Uh, as far as you know, getting to know the players and, and just a good person. And I remember when I was there, you and him were doing the the games. And, <laughs> and, yeah, like that. I don't know where you're getting all this stuff. But <laughs> Keep it coming, Glenn. I got a hacksaw. I cut that. I cut Foley off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think he did me. <laughs> um, I was going to ask you. Okay, so Dale, the front office job at the Hawks. Did that just end yeah. itself, or is it something you went after on that on that regard? No, it was by accident, actually. Um, I was scouting, and uh, I was player personnel director, and uh, Mike Smith got fired. And uh, after a game against Pittsburgh at home, I was uh, Mario uh, Lemieux asked me to take his uh, wife and her friends back to the hotel because they were going on the road. They had played that night and they were going to play in St. Louis, I think. And uh, she was in town for a, a, a paddle tennis thing. And, I, and on the way out, Bill Wirtz and Peter Wirtz were standing by the exit of the United Center and they called me over and they asked me, uh, what they what I thought about what they had just done. They had fired Mike Smith and his staff. And so, uh, he said, what do you think we need to do? And I said, well, I said, I got lots of ideas. I said, you know, but I, said, I don't know if you want to hear them right now. I said, yeah, why don't you meet me at my office tomorrow morning at nine o'clock at the downtown in Chicago? Yeah. I said, okay. So I went to the office and we started BSing with them and telling them what I thought, you know, no farm system. Uh, we had five guys in this in uh, Norfolk and five guys here. And I said, you know, that's the biggest mistake I see. You don't have any farm system, any, any you know, steadiness and all this stuff. And I said, you've been drafting uh, the bigger, tougher player as opposed to the best player. And, you know, I just, I just said, the heck, what, you going to fire me? I didn't care, you know. So I kind of just let it go. And I told Bill and, and uh, Pulley was there and, and Peter Wirtz and I just, I just told them everything. I, I got it off my chat. I've been watching it, uh, you know, for 15 years and watching yeah. it go down the toilet. And I got, I was kind of fed up with it. So he said, well, what do you think? I said, well, you know, whatever you want. I said, but would you be interested? He said, yeah, of course I would be. What the heck? I'm tired of lying on the air. You know, I said, I'm tired of not telling the truth because the team is so bad. And, you know, you're a homer because you're getting paid by them. And uh, so we decided that, Pulley would mentor me, and then I'd become the next general manager. So that's how it all came about. It was by fate, actually. Fantastic. Yeah. That is, that's a pretty good uh, situation. Now, when you took over, Dale, like, what 
okay, there's obviously some certain things that going into building a, a Stanley Cup champion. Give us some of the things that you really looked at as, okay, I need to do this. I need this type of player if we're going to win a Stanley Cup. <laughs> How much? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, yeah. You know, the thing is, the first thing for me was strong up the middle. You got to be strong up the middle. Mm -hmm. And that starts with your goaltender, your defense and center ice, and then you add your scoring and your skill. And, and But for me, it was character and more character. You know, guys that were passionate and wanted to win, wanted to play hard in all situations. And, I, and I, as I told Bill Wirtz, and I'll tell you this right now, I haven't told many people this. I, he asked me what I was going to do. And I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I said, I know what I'm not going to do. I said, those are, that's, I'm going to do things that have probably not been tried before, not done before. I'm going to throw some stuff on the wall and see what sticks. I said, but I know what I'm not going to do. Because I never spoke to my coach or my general manager, probably very rarely for 10 years as a player. I hardly knew any of them. You know, barely, you know, the, the general manager we hardly ever spoke with, and the coach barely spoke with you. So I wanted to bring in a whole thing of transparency and have everybody have uh, a kick at the can. So, uh, you know, everyone's part of the solution. So what I tried to do originally in Chicago was to bring everybody in and let them voice their opinion and then take the best and, and then go with it. Then hire smarter mm -hmm. people. I hired Rick Dudley, you know, because he had experience as a general manager. Then I hired Mark Bergman. Then I hired Mark Kelly. And I let everybody do their job. And I learned from them and I let them go to it. And we argued and, and fought professionally and we decided what was best for the team on consensus. And that's how I, uh, I built a, 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 this, helped build this team, it was by letting people be themselves and letting them voice their opinion. And for me, the key is, and the physical side, the hockey side, is hockey sense, hockey smarts. You know, how smart? I, I like smart players. I don't like dumb players. And the smarter they are, if they're, if they're deficient in skating and they're smart and they have quick hands, we can teach them how to skate, you know, but we can't teach them how to think a lot of the time. So th those are pieces of the puzzle that I, I'm not going to give you everything because who knows, I might go back and you might be working again. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, but I, I, there, there are a lot of good things that happened there in Chicago with Rick and, and, um, you know, Bergie and Mark Kelly and Michelle Dumas and all these, you know, it takes an army, it takes an army. The scouts are, are allowed to be themselves and, uh, you know, uh, able to disagree, you know, agree to disagree and move forward. Squid? Yeah. No, it's kind of a, it's a great way to, to come in and, and set the tone, I guess, for, for success. And as you said, Dale, like we never hardly talked to the coaches or the general, well, we never even saw the general manager no. when we played. And I, I always said communication was the very biggest key to success. Like if you're not going to communicate with your staff and your and the players and find out what they how they're feeling and what they think could be done to make things better, I mean you got to talk to everybody, right? Yeah, yeah. It's so important that the stick boy feels part of it too. You know, like everybody in that you've got a whole. You got to stick together, and you got you've got to make them feel they're worth worth talking to, you know. And, and that's that's the philosophy that I was I was brought up with, you know. So 
but anyway, it, it's something that I'm, you know, I enjoy the fact that my players could come to me and talk to me and let know their feelings. And then I'd give them a reason why they were wrong. <laughs> no, you know, I, I wanted them to be able to walk in and, and come in and, and speak to me and, and just let it go and not worry about having you know repercussions because of what they said either negatively or positively now how difficult was it being the new guy in the block you were the assistant gm so you were known around the league and people knew you but some of these other gms maybe would try to play in your inexperience as running yeah. the show how defensive did you have to be right at the beginning? Well, it's, you know, the, you know the guys that are going to try and give it to you. You, know? <laughs> you already know. You guys, but I was lucky. I played against a lot of these guys. Okay. Yeah. And I knew who the, who the guys you could trust and the guys. You know, like Jimmy Rutherford and I played in Oshawa together. I was 15 yeah. years old. Jimmy and I became, you know, he was our goalie. Uh, you know, Doug Wilson was my first part. His first partner in Chicago was me. You know, Bob Murray hired me. Uh, you know, the Sutters, we, you know, Daryl, and, uh, you know, he was there in Chicago. And so pretty well, all those guys, I had, a, I knew something going in. So I was very fortunate, you know, my yeah. experiences as a player and as a broadcaster um, helped me going in knowing that uh, who I could trust and who was going to try and, you know, give me a pig for a pork chop, you know, and, and the other way around kind of thing. So, <laughs> you know, like the guys, the guys, the experienced guys were, they always tried to get you, you know, like Lou was an experience. Lamarillo, I love Lou. He and I had some great conversations about, and, you know, Slats, Slats been around a while and oh, yeah. he knew his way around the block, you know. So I learned from those guys. They tried and, you know, it's, uh, it was, it was good. It was really good. Well, I was, we, Squid and I asked this of players all the time if there was a moment of enter certain thing that happened or said that they felt that they finally made it as an NHL player. Did you ever have that moment as a GM? And where I'm going with this is where you felt that even though they're always going to try and fleece you, no matter how experienced you are, that the word was out, this talent is pretty crafty. He's pretty sharp himself. When you make the call to him, you better be on your toes yourself. Well, I had one team. I won't name the team. They were going to, they were talking about making a deal. And then when I was willing to make the deal, they, they backed up because they were afraid there was something wrong with the player, you know, <laughs> that I was going to take advantage of them. So that felt really good. You know, that's what really it is. Good. That's, that's a great one. Yeah. So anyway, uh, that, that, those, those, those are things you'll never forget. Now, when did you, when did you think when you were building the team in Chicago, it was just a matter of time before winning? I mean, you can only do so much. The players at some point have to be accountable. Now, drafting Kane and Taze back-to-back was a good start right there. But aside from all of that, and we know – I think the, getting the sharp from Philly yeah. was a real big step up in the right direction. The team, when I we took over, was very slow. It was, it was gritty. It was, you know, not the most talented team. And so what I noticed in other teams, the good teams now are getting really fast. You know, the game was getting faster and faster, and the rules are going to be changed – uh, at first, we didn't think they'd change, but they did dramatically. So you had to change your dynamic of your team to speed. You needed a lot of speed. And I watched the NFL and all other teams and baseball. The teams that had the most speed usually had the most success. Basketball, I watched the Bulls. Mm -hmm. Their speed was, you know, the, the league couldn't keep up to them. So that was important. And so we got, started getting, you know, Patrick Sharp was a great skater. And and then all of a sudden, well, we won the lottery. You know, we 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 got Kane, and then we you know we had Taves, and then we won the lottery and got Kane. And 
We've got Boland and Yamerson. We we got a lot of fifth, sixth rounders, Troy Brower, guys that fill needs that you probably would have had to go buy or trade for. Yep. And we got lucky in the, in the draft with those guys. But I think this the year we got Brian Campbell, that we felt that the next year when we got Hosa, we that was the piece. We felt once we got him, we felt we were pretty good. You know, Crawford was really turning into a, a top-notch goalie. And, you know, Seabrook and Keith were really becoming top-notch defensemen. They could log 30 minutes a game. And, and you know, the the development of, of the, the guys, you know, Buff and – I mean, that was a great team. That team was unfortunate that it couldn't keep it together because it was not only the youngest team in the league, but they also could play in the alley too. This team was physically tough and mentally tough. And uh, it was, uh, I think when we got the big guy, Hosa put, put everything over the top is when, you know, things that was, look, that was when we were very optimistic about our future. Well, if you think about it, because you drafted Keith, I think, in 02, Seabrook in 03 with Crawford, and you yeah. won in 10. It takes time. Yeah, it does take time, really. I mean, look at, you know, Tampa's won two cups in a row, but they took them nine, ten years with that group, you know. Great drafting and, and great coaching and great ownership, the whole deal. It Now, now the Panthers are in that, that, that window, you know. It's taken since 2010, 11 to get changed around, and now Zito's added some great pieces to it. And they got a really good team, but it didn't take, it took four years, five years before yep. they started to realize it, you know, and, so and now it's nine ten. <laughs> so what are you telling us about the Toronto Maple Leafs? It's going to take another five years? <laughs> They're a dangerous team, you know, if they, they get the right pieces. I mean, you know, obviously they're struggling with gold, but uh, tough to beat them. You know, I mean, they've got really good young players and they can score. They can score at will. Uh, the thing with them has always been uh, they can keep it out of their net, you know, and the same thing is true of, uh, of Florida. You know, and we know that Tampa can because Vasilevsky is the last, you know, that guy's brilliant and not a lot of teams have that. You know, the, the teams that have that best piece back there usually have the chance to go to the f- final four. Um, the dispute with the uh, NHL. Oh, go ahead, Squid. I, I want to share a really good story with you, Dale, and I, you probably remember this, but my son was playing at Miami, Ohio, after playing at the U.S. development program. Got drafted by Anaheim by Brian Burke in 07. He left and went to Toronto. So he comes out of college. Nobody signs him. He's, he's kind of down and everything. I called you. They were doing rule changes at the Leafs practice facility at the time. And you said, meet me. Bring your son and meet me at Tim Hortons at the corner of Kipling and whatever street that was. So we go in there, and I asked him if he, if he could come to camp, and he said, well, why don't I just sign him to an American League ECHL deal right now? I said, I looked at my son, he goes, yeah, okay. And then he ended up spending a year and a half in San Antonio, the farm team, and to this day, I... I I was so thankful for that for my son because he was really down about not being signed. And he's still playing now in the ECHL in Cincinnati where, mm-hmm. where you guys were filming. I remember that because I had to buy too. <laughs> well, yeah, well, that's not surprising. It's good, okay? <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, you know, I, 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 that's what I basically, my purpose in life is to help young guys be successful. 
you know, same thing is happening in Florida with Marchman's kid, you know, Mason. It's yeah. such a great story, you know, to be able to have that, have a kid like that have success, you know, and your son to have a little bit of a success to make get him in the right path. That's what we're here for, isn't it? I mean, that's what it's all about. I mean, that's what I'm about anyway. That's why I was brought up. So I, I love our young players. I love, I, I really, I th probably liked them too much, you know. That's probably my downfall, but I'm not going to change. And that's the way I'm always going to be. And I appreciate that, that you remembered that. Well, I think the other thing you want to remember, Dale, is uh, not to, to bring up past bad things, but the 2009 dispute with the NHL Players Association, you took the heat, but I mean, there's other guys involved in it. But what I like at it from the positive standpoint is the way our players stood up for you and called you out saying, he's as every part of bit of this as all of us when they won in 10. And yeah. they're thankful to you. So that must have taken some of that bad. Well, feeling. look at that team. They went to my mother's, my father's, funeral. you know, they, they took the bus up to, to Gravenhurst, you know? Yeah. That tells you everything right there. I mean, that's what kind of character that, and that's what you have to build to be successful. Those types of people in a, in a locker room having to go through the wars, you know, you know, Rick was one of those guys. He went through, you know, he would sacrifice himself every game and you that's the key you got to have character and more character than you can imagine it's the only way you can get to where you're going well so that's the, okay. that that my the face on my if you had a scene that my mother's face mm -hmm. when they walked into that funeral home it was that was totally worth it well you know there you go i mean that that speaks volumes of yourself too as a as a, yeah. as a leader of the yeah. club so well on you on that part and it didn't yeah. take the panthers long to come calling how did that all fall apart? Fall into place? Well, as Bill Torrey, you know, I, and Pulley again was involved in that story. I, I was in Florida. I got let go uh, of the Blackhawks, and they were paying me my full salary and and uh, keep me, you know, not. Uh, I don't know what why they were what they were doing, but anyway. So I was in Vero Beach, Florida, working on my game. I was going to go play some senior tour stuff and try to qualify and all that stuff, and um, and uh, I went and I played golf with Lou Nanny and Bill Torrey and Bob Pulford. So we were playing golf and, and um, uh, I was gonna go back to Chicago. And, and I said to Bill Torrey, uh, I wanna play Seminole before I go back. I, that was on my bucket list, I hadn't played Seminole. Mm -hmm. He said, uh, well, I'm a member and you know, why don't you come back down? I was in Vero Beach, which was a couple hours up the road. So we went, I, after golf, I met Heizinga and, uh, and um, Bill Torrey for lunch at the Floridian mm -hmm. after after we played the Semin at Seminole. And Bill was in charge of the search committee. And I was talking to Lou Nanny about the Tampa job was open as well because he knew Vanek. And so when I said to Lou, I have interest in, I want to get in. I don't want to stay out. And, uh, and Bill said, well, why don't you what about the panthers i said well <laughs> I, i'm telling you i'm ready to go so it was with bill tory that i was able to get the deal done Isn't and i got the deal done when chicago beat san jose in game two uh and uh and i phoned the blackhawks i phoned rocky works and i told rocky that i was taking a job with the panthers and he was all excited for me and that's how it all happened it was bill tory and bob pulford and lou nanny and the, the Harry, all those guys that I spent a lot of time with in Florida, uh, you know, having lunch with them, playing golf with, and learning from. Well, you go from the Hawks, an original six franchise with lots of history, cold climate, everybody knows it. 
to a Sunbelt team with very little history, did you have to take a different approach towards building them than versus Chicago? Well, I think when I was in Chicago, I tried to do things on my, more on my own. And when I got to Florida, I learned the lesson that I wanted to let let people do their jobs more. You know, I wasn't yeah. as, um, but no, you, I don't think you can change it. It was working in Chicago. Why would I change it? You know, with the same attitude. Uh, well, the one thing is you, you have to really be uh, dedicated in Florida. As I said before, weather and distractions and going to the rink and, visitors and family coming down yeah. and you know you've got to be focused to play in, in, in florida as half empty buildings you know going to the that's right going to practice and flip-flops so those things you've got to have strong character to play and be successful and you know stevie y did it in tampa and and so there's no reason why it can't be done it's just it's hard work and you got to get the right people in there i totally agree i mean although as a player i I only spent one year in warm weather in Birmingham and talking about shade. I found it it helped me because I was able after a couple of games and things that weren't going the way that you expected them. I could go play golf or tennis or or just go for a long walk somewhere and clear my mind. And I thought that helped me as a player. Now maybe that's because of my personality. Because I knew that once I got to the rink, it was going to be work time. So, I don't know. Yeah, I, I a lot of these young guys, 18, 19 year old, don't have that that willpower, you know. It takes willpower. Yeah. Well, I was 19, and I guess I had that part of it figured out already. But Until you got out of the rink. <laughs> well, no, no. I mean, hey. Going and playing around the golf in the afternoon after when things aren't going well, believe me, yeah. I, I really felt that it helped me uh, and refocus and, and, and get things back. And not that I was never focused, but there's times where things don't go your way and you need to get up and do something else to take your mind off it. Mm-hmm. Now, besides making the playoffs in Florida, at what point did you think the Panthers were on the right track? To where they are almost where you could see envision them almost being where they are today if you could well i think it's just an accumulation of the the picks starting to mature together you know yeah. huberdo uh, you know i sent him back after his first training camp because i was afraid he was going to get killed he was very physically not very strong you know he was a good player but he got crushed in a game in in uh, dallas i remember by a big defenseman and i said to my i said he's got to go back to, to St. John. I mean, he's going to get killed here at his size. So he, he went and he, now he's, I saw him the other day. He's, he's a man now, you know, he's a big size, good size man, and mature physically, mentally, uh, you know, but when all those guys, Ekblad, um, Barkov always has always been a very mature guy, but strong. He's, you know, he's a, he's always been that way. He's been blessed with a great body as well. So when all of these guys grew up together and stayed together and, and been able to, you know, realize that it's, they got to make more sacrifices and, and make more of a commitment. I could see that slowly, but gradually. Yep. And uh, now they're, they don't have, they're self-motivated now, which is a great thing. Whereas before yeah. you always had to pump them up and work at it and make sure they, you know, had people around them and sports psychologists and, you know, all the nutritionists, trainers, whatever, just keep harping at them. 
And after a while, they get sick and tired of listening to you. Now, now that you don't have to tell them, they, they, they figured it out now. Um, something as a, just for the fans, for the listeners, something that as a GM that would, they'd be surprised at, that something that you do with every day in your job, we wouldn't be aware of. Well, you know, it's amazing how many fires you have to put out every day. And, you know, you got a staff, you got trainers and scouts and travel guys. And, yep. you know, you've got all kinds of different things. Every day there's something going on in just inside your own group, family issues or mental issues or medical issues. Uh, the, it's nonstop. And it's not a job that it used to be a six, seven month job. It's a 12 month job now, you know, you get maybe three weeks off in August or after the, after your development camp, maybe. And then, then you start scouting in August in Europe and the whole deal. So you don't get much time. You might get three weeks to to recharge. It's a fact that you're getting stressed every day with something, you know, a phone call, a text message, uh, and it goes on. It, It doesn't, it's not, Two in the morning, it could be two in the afternoon, it could be six. And there's always something to fix. And that that's exciting as well. It's fun, but it's stressful. There's a lot of other things going on other than what happened at the, between 7 and 10.30, you know, that people are unaware of. Now, what about the media? Now, I know you mentioned in Florida there's not full-time coverage, but even like in a place like Chicago, you know what goes on in a city like Toronto, but... How do you keep them on side while trying to put your plan in place? I mean, they can be very ruthless, obviously, poking holes in every move you make. So the obvious answer is winning. But before yeah, that, you know, the thing in be- Chicago, I just said, the heck with it. We're going to be honest with them. You know, we yeah. we got rid of everybody. We accumulated 17 picks, 14 picks, 11 picks, and three straight drafts. So we just went out. I just, like I said, I threw. I, I knew what I wasn't going to do, and I wasn't afraid to take the, the heat for four years and say, we're, we're going to be crappy here for four years. We need to rebuild. We need to be bad before we're going to be really good. And drafting 15 to 18 to 17 every year, you know, it's not going to cut it. You got to get down to the bottom and yeah. work your way back up. And we were very honest with the fans in Chicago about that. And then in Florida, we were, you know, we did basically the same thing. And, uh, you know, we, we changed ownership a few times. And But I don't think you can... T- you have to tell the truth today. You know, you're not going to get away with BS, you know, as bovine scatology as the great general said, but uh, you know, you, you, you gotta just be honest with them and tell them how you feel. And, you know, there's certain things you never let go, but I, I had experience in the media interviewing and doing all that stuff. And so I, I understood what they needed as well, you know, so you got to give them something. Now, I was going to say, for all of us armchair GMs and writers and bloggers and all that kind of stuff, just to put this to bed right from the horse's mouth who's, who's been there and doing this, all of us with our mock trades and all our great insights on who should play with who and who shouldn't play and all that kind of stuff, you as a GM and insight are very much aware of most of these things yourselves, but for a variety of reasons, you just can't do them. Well, that's most true. Time. That's true. Uh, there's so many consequences to these deals, you know, like some of these deals take years to develop two, three years or two, three months or two, three days yeah. or two. Th- something happened just like that. You know, when you, you deal with a general manager that uh, sometimes you have to do all the work in a deal. You know? yeah. Some of these general managers, you got to you got to make the, you got to trade for them, too. 
And the other guys, you just pick up the phone and say, yeah, let's do it. And this is what we need and what you want. Boom, it's done. But the deals that you wish that would happen can happen a lot of times because of no moves, no trades, cap issues, budgets, uh, all these other things, you know, that come into play. It's great. So, but some deals are easy to make and some deals aren't, you know. (laughs) Well, I, I, I know a little bit about the coaching part as I did in the minors, but I, I certainly don't know anything about being a general manager. But I, it, the way you're talking about it is very similar as being a coach. That you, you know, you have to be honest with your players and you have to, you know, tell the truth. And I think maybe that's why my coaching career ended because I was a little bit too honest with Don Cherry and and uh, it's a saga with the ice <laughs> after a real bad year. And then nothing after that. I, I sent out probably 20 resumes every year for probably six, seven years and never got an interview. So anyway, now, that's, uh, I wouldn't change it, though. It was going to happen. Because that's just the way I feel. It's a tough Dale. business. It's a great game. It's a tough business. Oh, it's a yeah. tough business. But Dale's going to ask you, take us through the process of evaluating a possible draft choice player. And for part two of that question, does the process change or process change depending on the order of your pick? Like, do you look at lottery pick much differently in valuation than, say, a third rounder? No, I don't. It's so what would be your... Char- for me, is the character of the player. You know, that is the most important piece. You know, you got to find out from their billets. You got to find out from the trainer. You got to do your homework. You know, mm-hmm. there are a lot of top picks that never, you know, that you don't want on your locker room. You know, yeah. we we had that situation with Taves and Kane when we drafted their one Canadian, one American. You know, how is it going to work? If it doesn't work, we got to trade one of them. You know, but fortunately for them and for us and for all people involved in hockey, they get along. And that was a blessing, you know, but you never know that when you're drafting them. Yeah. You don't know what the, when you start, you can draft all the good players you want, but then you got to shuffle the deck and put them together and what fits with who, who fits with whom. And, you know, that then uh, you could have successive drafts first overall or third overall or second overall. And these two kids or three kids hate each other. You don't know that, you know, you just don't know. <laughs> And sometimes it, that happens. Hey, sweet, but you're in the room. You know these things. You know? Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, you have to take out a lot of things. I mean, I never realized that you had to worry about that as a gentleman manager. But, I mean, it makes sense because, I mean, as a player, if you're going to win, you have to have trust and you have to like the guys you're playing. So you have to have trust in one another. Right? And, and you got to get along. Yeah, you got to f- find a way to get along. Now, to Dale, some of the interviews, we've talked to players about the interviews, and we've never really talked to GM about some of the questions that get asked. Now, our favorite answer of all time came from Ethan Morrow. Oh, when yeah. Harry Sinden <laughs> asked him, if you come to Boston, what number you don't want to wear? And right away he said, four or eight. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the end of the conversation. Okay, you're, you're gone. <laughs> I was listening to uh, Jason Robinson get interviewed. He was on Spin Chickens here there and listened to his interview. He got asked two questions. One, and they really got him on this one. Would you rather play one year in the National Hockey League and win a Stanley Cup or play 10 years? And the other question is, they started showing him video and with the ruler started pointing at situations saying, what would you have done here? 
What kind of questions did you ever ask the players? Anything that crazy? Boxers or briefs, or, you know. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I wanted the kids to feel feel at home. You know, I mean, that wasn't the time. That that the interview process there is very flawed, in my opinion. Yeah. So they go, you know, come on, you got eight, twelve guys in a room, and this kid's seventeen, eight years old, and he's got uh, his head down. And you're asking him all these questions, you know, about. He's not. He's a kid's gonna crap in his pants, you know. Like I mean, come on, put yourself in his shoes as an eighteen-year-old. He said right? that. I mean, yeah. you, so I, I try to have fun with it just to get to know him a little bit, and then if we have interest, you know, do it down the line and, and get more information. Have some. Have him fill out the you know, psychological profiles and all that stuff that you do before, and then if you're real serious, interview him again and you know, dwell into it more. But. That that process uh, for me it, it was flawed. Uh, I felt sorry for those kids. What's so one of the funny answers you got? Have fun so with Dale, it. you talked to a lot of the, the coaches that they played for, the junior, the trainers, and all those people trying to get as much information as you can. Yeah, that that that's how we you know we. It's a year long process. Actually, you start to profile these kids when they're underage. It's a two year mm-hmm. window, really, that our guys. They make a list. They're making a secondary list of underage as they're doing their primary list too. That was another thing that we always wanted to make sure of. So you you've got two years of really getting to know this kid, and then you know you find out if the father's nuts or if the mother's crazy or if the kid's crazy or if the sister you know like or he doesn't want to play hockey that much. You know those are the things that really come into the whole deal. And then we had a we we incorporated this thing called a, a virtual coach. Uh, uh, Joe Day, the former player, he worked with a company, Pondera, and they came up with this 350 question thing that we use with our kids. And and uh, as we developed this this uh, virtual coach thing, it was able we were able to get to the kids' character a lot quicker and a lot easier, and it helped us in our drafting process. Well, we've got to script. We're getting, we've kept Dale longer than we really should be. Well, I'm getting paid by overtime or what the hell? Yeah, but- <laughs> we got a case of schooner or what? Moose well, I'm going to give you a better introduction, a longer one. How's that? Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm going to work this hard in three years. <laughs> well, you know, we're going to pass this along to all the GMs and try, we're going to pass this all the owners in the NHL. Well, you're going to screw up 31 teams, 32 teams. <laughs> well, any I didn't final tell time? you all the stuff that I know. I'm just telling you the stuff that you want to know. Well, that well, that's right. I know we're getting, we're we're sort of leading you that way. Now, spend a final question for Dale before we let him go. No, I. Uh, but I said my son works for Moosehead, so I might come and get you. Uh, Can't hear you, Squid. His son works for Moosehead. Oh yeah, get my younger son. My younger son. No, I don't drink anymore, but I know other people around me that do. But I will say that my youngest son still remembers that day that we met and I. Uh, uh, it makes me feel good. It makes me feel good. Yeah. That's what it's all about. You know, I got to tell you, he's very thankful. And I'll tell you what, you're the reason I did this show, Squid. And Mike. I like Mike, but I, 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 I've said no a lot of times in the last three years. But, well, we want to really thank well, you for joining us. No, it's been fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah, we really love having you. Thanks so much, Dale, and that's some best of luck. And hopefully, see you back in the game. The game needs you yeah, back in it. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. All right, take care. I enjoyed that. That was fun. Okay, great. Thanks, Dale. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, bye.